The Truth News Network. Masks, lockdowns, shutdowns, rioting. The world has gone mad. And the only therapy is the truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your therapist is in. He's Dan Newman. You know, not everybody wants to hear the truth. They don't want to know the truth. They want to hear and concentrate on things that just make them feel good, feel good about themselves, their lives, and everything going on in, in the world around them. And I guess there's a case to be made for being positive all the time. I get that. And I subscribe to that mostly. But I don't do it and just totally ignore things that are right in my face that just don't look good. And maybe they just don't look good. They're not good. And if you look deeper, you could discover exactly what's behind that uh, good packaging of everything. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to TNN Live. Let's go back one day. I want to thank everybody that listened in yesterday as we had our interview with Mark Grennan, um, a really good guy, a good American, and he called in from a jail cell in Bogota, Colombia, and talked about what has happened to him and his three sons. All four of them are in prison. Mark and one son in Bogota, Colombia, the other two sons, or in Miami, federal prison, federal maximum security prison. And it all leads back to one thing, COVID-19, finding the facts and acting upon the facts they found. And it wasn't just them, folks. I hope that those of you that were listening to the show yesterday, you went back later and scrolled down the story that we published yesterday titled Bolivia's Miracle Cure for COVID-19. Down at the bottom of that story, there are several links to some of Mark Grennan's books, also information about high, uh, chlorine, high, um, chlorine dioxide. I, I get the name. There are so many of those in chemical world today. I get them all mixed up. Chlorine dioxide information there to find out about it, its history. It was discovered in the early 1800s, folks. It's been around that long and been promoted by NASA of all institutions and has been used and still is in every hospital, every emergency room in America. He's in prison because of that. All four of them are. Details there. You can go back and listen to the show from yesterday. Uh, it was exactly at 9 o'clock when Mark Grennan joined us. And uh, you can grab that show also at the bottom of that page. You'll see a red link. Uh, it's highlighted, and it says to listen to today's show. Click on that little familiar blue arrow to listen to the show. And it it's the first hours all Mark Grennan. I encourage you to do that. Educate yourself. We had people looking in from, I could not believe it, Netherlands, Australia, Vietnam, all over North America, South America. People are really interested in hearing about these things that are going on and finding facts about everything in our lives. But what's the 900-pound gorilla in everybody's living room right now? COVID-19. 
and they're going back at it, piling on some new stuff. We're going to get into that in just a little bit, and I'm talking about Omicron and what it's done. It set the world on fire. Joe Biden has got a hot seat from Omicron and sees it as not anything bad necessarily for the American people, but a political opportunity. And the left have already began to play that hand. They're being exposed from up front. We're going to pass along what that exposure is. Then there's Liz Cheney, member of the House of Representatives. Remember her dad, Dick Cheney, was in both Bush White Houses, very powerful political people, very powerful in the carbon energy industry too. He was Dick Cheney affiliated uh, a long time with um, several companies, carbon carbon companies, gas and oil companies. Uh, Liz Cheney just, she committed the unpardonable sin by revealing actual text of people that work at Fox News to former President Donald Trump's um, number one guy, Mark Meadows, actually read those. They've been all over national news. Can you imagine if somebody would grab your tweets? Anybody, especially if you're a high-profile person like those anchors are at Fox News, when we communicate via Facebook, text, messenger, we do that secretly. Those are private private correspondence with whoever. And for a member of the United States Congress to release that information, actual text to the press is unconscionable. It's unthinkable. We're going to get into the details of that. But I think the other big gorilla in the room is the fact that inflation is way worse than we've been told and even way worse than I thought it was. When you look at the goods that are processed by U.S. manufacturers here domestically for sale to other businesses like, you know, an appliance manufacturer selling to a retailer or a software maker selling to a digital games store, if you look at those prices, they're up by more than 26%, folks. 26%. The cost of producer prices, just that one little segment's up 9.6%. That's the biggest increase since 1974. Now, what does that mean? Folks, cost is something that doesn't just occur to the people at the very bottom of the food chain. It's passed on each level. The manufacturer sells it to a retail chain. The retail chain they sell it to you and me. Everybody in the middle's got to make profit. It starts high and it gets higher. 26.5% supply chain and wholesale inflation. 26%. Folks, that's not very far away from being one-third increase in the cost of everything. Why is this happening? Oh, we hear all the stories of the economists that, oh, it, remember, it, it's, in, it's just going to be temporary. All the politicos, that's what they said from the very beginning. Many are still saying that. But it's not temporary, folks. It's with us. And now 
many of those same economists are telling us, hey, you need to get ready for this. This inflation is going to get worse and it's going to be all over at least the first half of 2022. How could it get worse? How could it get worse? I'll tell you how it could get worse. If the Fed starts raising interest rates, the reason they would do that would be to slow down the spending. Well, the big major spender in all of this that is driving this inflation is who? Our federal government. Our federal government is the biggie, folks. They're the biggest spenders there are. And they're not spending money that they have, that we've sent to them. Oh, they spent everything we sent to them in the last year and a whole lot more. Billions, hundreds of billions more. That helps drive the cost of everything sky high. And then we're sitting there looking at this monstrous Build Back Better bill that has already passed the House. It's over at the Senate. And Biden and every other Democrat in leadership, they're bowing at the altar of their own compadre in the Senate, Joe Manchin, trying to get him to change his mind and vote for the number one financial boondoggle in history the Build Back Better bill. Dan, the president, promised us, and he stuck to that promise. He's saying it again and again, so it's got to be true. What's that promise? No American that makes less than $400,000 a year will see one penny of additional tax under this bill. How are they going to fund it? They tried to sell it to us as being $1.75 trillion, the CBO came back and rated it at somewhere between four and five trillion dollars. Where are we going to get four to five trillion dollars? We don't have even any of that. Not one dime of that does the federal government have today. It's not like they learned a lesson when they were kids growing up and going to school and learning about the capitalist market and how it works. And they're just blowing it off for political purposes? That's exactly what they're doing. Obviously, listen to what I'm about to say. Obviously, the people in this government, I don't care if you work in the White House, if you work for a U.S. senator or a U.S. member of the House of Representatives, I don't care. If you and your like are pushing this bill You have to understand doing it dismisses your concern and care for the welfare of every American that lives in the district that you represent. This is not going to be good for one person that's trying to make a living and just make ends meet. There are a lot of people that are going to do really well under this. I remember back... In the last time we faced stuff like this, in the Jimmy Carter administration, in the late 70s, I remember in my own family and my parents' friends that had a lot of money, those people got filthy rich. How'd they do that? Do you know what they could do then and what they did? Instead of investing money in companies that they own, like giving employees pay raises, and improving and buying new equipment. Rather than do that, they took their cash 
and put it in banks and certificates of deposit. Do you know that back then, prime lending rate got up to 21%? And what were banks doing? On certificates of deposit, they were paying 1% over prime. These billionaires and millionaires, there weren't many billionaires back then, but these multimillionaires were making millions of dollars parking their money in the bank. Look for that to happen in this situation. If and when the Federal Reserve starts raising their interest rates to slow down this market, and that's what they do, they've kind of foreshadowed that they're considering it, which automatically, to be honest with you, they should have already done it. They've got to slow this down. They've got, first of all, we do as voters, we've got to shut down any Congress that would spend money like this Congress is doing. It's almost like we gave them a credit card, we the people. And they spent all the money that was on that credit card when we gave it to them. And now they're coming back to the American people and saying, look, that money's all gone. You need to reload our credit card. Why? What are you going to do with it? Well, we've got this big deal out there that we're going to give even more money away to our political cronies and those who we're obligated to. We're going to create these great incentives to give people the incentive not to work again, just stay at home. We're going to pay for your daycare. So not only can you stay at home, we're going to pay you because you have kids. We're going to take care of your daycare. We're going to educate your kids. We're going to give them the best education that we can find. That includes critical race theory. We're going to pay for it. You're going to have the life of Riley. All you got to do is just keep sending all your money to us. That sounds trite. I wish it was trite. But folks, that's exactly what we're facing right now. And it hit 26.5%. It was announced yesterday. What do you think it's going to be next month? You think it's going to go down? Heck no. And in the middle of all of this, of course, they've got to go borrow some more money, but they don't have authority to do it now. they got to get a new debt ceiling increase so they can go spend some more money. So this one started in the Senate, and guess what they did? They passed a $2.5 trillion debt ceiling increase. It's going to push the ceiling, listen to this, past the midterm elections next year by temporarily bypassing the Senate's filibuster. Democrats couldn't get it passed with just their own 50 votes. Now it's going to move over to the House. They're going to pass it, folks. They're going to get it done quickly and sent to Joe Biden to sign into law. Federal government, if they don't get this done, may face a default on its debt. If Congress fails to raise the debt limit, oh, by the way, it expires today. So, how did they do this? Well, they passed it after the Senate members created a one-time carve-out to their filibuster rule, and that allowed Democrats to pass the bill with just a simple majority instead of the 60 that they're supposed to have when stuff like this comes up there. 
So conservatives just made this little note for all of us. This will grant Democrats a pathway to pass more legislation by again and again and again, temporarily breaking the filibuster. Senator Mike Lee, I have a lot of respect for him. He's a Republican from Utah, constitutional attorney. When the Senate approved the resolution to create that one-time filibuster carve-out, he warned this would be one more tool to be used to abuse the American people. And those on the other side, of course, they weigh in with their perspective. And what they do, they never talk about the specific issues of the bill. That's all the Republicans are talking about because it makes absolutely no sense. Who in their right mind would sign a check for that kind of money, $2.5 trillion, and just give it to anybody, especially the people in Congress, (laughs) to spend supposedly on us. And the insanity, the poor government, it just gets worse and worse and it rolls on and on. So in the shadow of all this, the Democrat National Committee had a big, big holiday party, not a Christmas party, a holiday party. And the president was there. So he spoke to him last night. He was very optimistic that the Democrat Party is going to prevail in the midterm elections. Here's what he said. We have to keep making the case, and this is to about 400 people in D.C. Let me say this again from the president. We're going to win in 2022. We're going to win in 2022. I think he thinks he's running (laughs) for re-election in 2022. No, we Democrats are. I want to tell my Republican friends, he said, get ready, pal. You're in for a problem. And then he explained that Republicans are against everything and challenging the crowd to name something the GOP is for. Of course, there wasn't a Republican there. Nobody, if they wanted to stand up and say, here's a couple of dozen, Mr. President, they're not going to do it in that crowd. Everybody I talk to, every political expert that I've seen that has commented and weighed in on the 2022 midterms election, everybody feels strongly Democrats are toast that the House is going to turn Republican and more likely now than ever before, the Senate is as well. Congress is so fragmented right now, and, and this administration has both houses of Congress, the majority in both. Can you imagine how fragmented it would become immediately? if there's such a turnover like is anticipated in 2022. While he was giving this speech, Bowden talked about his, I said Bowden. (laughs) That's a football coaching family. Biden. Biden talked about his recently passed infrastructure spending package, and he called it the most significant piece of infrastructure spending since the Eisenhower administration. And of course, if he had continued along that road, he would have told us all that he helped Dwight Eisenhower structure that 
infrastructure plan back then. Yeah, he was he was in uh, Nickers when Eisenhower was in office. Pelosi also spoke. I know that excites you. She told everybody how Biden is the perfect president to handle the challenging times facing the country. Our country could not be better served than with the most experienced and capable hands than yours, President Biden. She said he's just perfect. The timing couldn't be better. I can tell you this. I don't know of anybody that is better or was better at just listening to whoever the handlers were telling them what to say and being nothing more than puppets. He's a master at doing that. He's getting all of the stuff done that he's being told to get done. So I guess on that count, he's doing a good job. Uh, Nobody in the White House has even talked about or defended that this administration left over 400 Americans behind in Afghanistan. You remember they said, ah, 12 to 20. Then we were told maybe 100 to 200, and I'm going to err on the side of it being 100. Now we find out it's 400. That came as the State Department said that fewer than a dozen Americans were still trying to leave Afghanistan nearly four months after the Taliban seized control. The statement also showed that the Biden administration had left 490 Americans behind in Afghanistan. And that was all during Biden and his guys in the State Department were saying only 100 to 200 Americans remained over there. Jen Psaki, of course, she immediately came to the defense of the president. She defended his record on the issue yesterday in their daily briefing, arguing that they delivered on their word on the president's commitment to get Americans out of the country. Of course, Peter Ducey, he got in her grill when she uh, made that statement. He asked why the administration didn't have accurate numbers of Americans left behind. Saki had an answer, of course. It's because the government was not tracking Americans overseas. She said, I'll reiterate, the U.S. does not track or put a tracker on American citizens traveling overseas. That would be quite a Fox News story, wouldn't it be, if we did that? She said, we don't do that. Folks, let me just tell you this. Factually, that's a lie. Every American that goes to Afghanistan has an exhaustive process that has to be undergone, no exceptions, through the State Department, our State Department. Here's how it works. You have to contact the State Department way in advance of you're going to Afghanistan. And you have to apply for a visa from our government to get legal authorization as an American to go to the nation of Afghanistan. Our State Department checks you out. Then if they approve it on our side, they send it to the Afghani Foreign Relations Department. Then they have to determine if you're going to be eligible to go or they'll take you into their country for a visit or whatever you're planning. In the middle of all of that stuff, folks, you're required by our State Department and theirs to provide 
copies of your plane tickets, of course, your passports, medical history, those kind of things, when you're going, when you're leaving, where you're going to be while you're there. If you're American, our government wants to know where you are when you're in a foreign country, especially one that is controlled by our enemies. Our State Department has that information on everybody. They had it. They know everybody that's there. They might The people could have moved. I get that, and that's one of their excuses, but they still know they're in the country. They couldn't have come back to the United States without their passport being scanned when they get to the U.S. That's in the State Department database and shows. They could pull, and I'm sure they did, one report that had the names of every American that were in Afghanistan long before the withdrawal occurred and even every day since. They know the numbers but because it's not a good political thing for them, for us to know, they don't want to give them to us. And so they they just don't do it. Just more of the same political crap that we have to try to dig through and wade through and find nuggets of truth every day. And it's getting tougher and tougher. And folks, let me just say this. If you're a hardcore Republican, I respect that. We all have our opportunities and ideals, and we all have the legal authority to choose who we support, who we don't support politically. And I'm fine with that. But at some point, you got to take a consideration of this stuff. And it's not just happening once here, once over here, maybe down the road happens one other spot. It's 24-7, folks. Both sides of the aisle. You're not getting a straight shot all the time when you talk to Republicans. It's an amazing thing. It's a tough thing, but we live right in the middle of it. We, the people, are the last people to know the truth in our government. Just because you think something's right doesn't mean it's right. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't mean it's wrong. But always get the truth about right and wrong here at TNN, the Truth News Network. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. (laughs) Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. What happens when a young singer gets to cut a track with an R&B star? Yo! Or a young activist gets to chop it up with their hero? Oh, snap! You get McDonald's Black and Positively Golden Mentors, the series elevating the next generation of changemakers. Each episode, a must-see passing of the torch between the culture leaders of today and the young leaders of tomorrow. Check out Black and Positively Golden Mentors on Instagram at We Are Golden. Look out, world. We got it from here. I've always loved this version of 
of this song, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Remember this? and one very large Hawaiian singer. You remember the movie that that premiered in? 51st Dates. Remember that? A funny movie. Hey, sometimes you get something for nothing here. You just listen in and you may learn something every day. South Louisiana, we call that lanyap. That's something you get extra that you don't have to pay for. Same thing as the baker's dozen when you go buy a dozen donuts. Well, fireworks in Congress. I know you're shocked. Lynn Cheney, Republican member of the House of Representatives from Wyoming. She is one of just a couple of uh, Republicans that were kept on the January 6th select committee chosen by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to dig down and find out exactly what happened on January 6th. That FBI, they don't have the expertise to do that. We're Congress. We need to do it. Forget about the fact that the FBI... In, they investigated and arrested 600 of those people that rioted on January 6th. They don't have the methods and the insights to do the real investigation, so we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do it just like we did the Robert Mueller investigation into Soviet collusion between Donald Trump and his campaign. And of course... Just segue to January 6th. Trump's been defeated in the election. His loss has been confirmed. Joe Biden is going to be president of the United States. On January 6th, Trump gave a speech from the White House. And everybody knew there were a bunch of people in the crowd that were planning to demonstrate at the U.S. Capitol that day after the speeches were made at the White House. Trump very plainly told those people, march peacefully and protest peacefully at the Capitol. That's public record. I heard it when he said it. I've heard it a dozen times since. But the big thing this committee is doing is trying to tie President Donald Trump to being the instigator of the January 6th insurrection, as they say. So part of this thing, Liz Cheney just took it on herself to uh, violate many principles, and many people say she violated laws during a meeting of the House Select Committee investigating. Yesterday, Liz Cheney read text messages The messages, ah, that's no big deal. They read text messages all the time. But it is a big deal because they weren't officially available to Liz Cheney or anybody else. Text messages, mine and yours, are supposed to be between us and who we send them to, right? That's the way it's supposed to be. And those things are transmitted across state lines through the Internet. So technically, The federal government steps in, and it's a violation. It's a violation of the privacy of individuals to do this. But Liz Cheney, just like her compadre from California, Adam Schiff, think they can have access to everybody's emails, everybody's text, and they can even distribute them on their own. 
I just can't believe anybody believes that's okay. Well, Liz Cheney did. What, what's going on? They're after Mark Meadows, former president's chief of staff. So according to the text records, multiple Fox News hosts knew they are saying, and she said this, this is actually verbatim her words, quote, according to the records, multiple Fox News hosts knew the president needed to act immediately. They texted Mr. Meadows, and he has turned over those texts. Quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy. Laura Ingram wrote that. Please get him on TV destroying everything you have accomplished. Brian Kilmeade texted that. Quote, can he make a statement? Ask people to leave the Capitol? That's Sean Hannity. So as the violence continued, Cheney said, one of the president's sons texted Mark Meadows. Here's a quote. He's got to condemn this SHIT ASAP. The Capitol Police tweet is not enough. Meadows responded, I'm pushing it hard. I agree. Cheney said, still, President Trump did not immediately act. Donald Trump Jr. texted again and again, urging action by the president, quote, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand. But, Cheney said, but, hours passed without necessary action by the president. These non-privileged texts, are further evidence of President Trump's supreme dereliction of duty during those 187 minutes. And Mr. Meadows' testimony will bear on another key question before this committee. Did Donald Trump, through action or inaction, corruptly seek to obstruct or impede Congress's official proceedings to count electoral votes? She's a Republican, she is, has been a rhino, which is Republican in name only, and she has been excoriated since all of her opposition of many Republican ideals and their hatred for Donald Trump. She's caucusing, basically, folks, with the Democrat Party in the House. It was amazing to listen as I listened to I didn't hear, yeah, I did hear a bit from Kilmeade yesterday morning about it. But listen to Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram. Folks, that's that's a violation. It borders on being a federal violation of a federal law, even if she is a member of Congress. Somebody should take that by the horns and do something with it. Trump told those people to march peaceably peacefully. But here's the conundrum that few are realizing or accepting or even know about. Do you know that days before this event took place, Donald Trump, the president, this is before January 20th, so he was still in office, he requested the National Guard to come to D.C. on a large-scale basis before January 6th to protect the Capitol. 
That, of course, had to go to the person that's over all things that happen at the U.S. Capitol. And who might that be? House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. So the National Guard reached out to the House Speaker, told her what the President had requested, and she said, no, we don't need you. Don't do it. Do you think this committee has even bothered to ask her about her actions, why she said that? We heard testimony early on in this committee from members of the then Capitol Police Force that were there that day, and they were told when they requested immediately when the incident began National Guard support, they were told to sit down and be quiet. Why did they do that? Why didn't the Capitol Police enlarge, engage man-to-man during this this event. We saw live and later on video, we saw members of the Capitol Police Force actually removing barriers between the protesters and the Capitol, waving those people to come on in. They made no attempt to try to hide their actions. But this all boils down to one thing, trying to find something that occurred that really did occur, and it being bad, and then weaponizing it to use against a political foe or someone you don't like. Folks, that's just absolutely wrong. It's an abomination to God to misrepresent stuff. The the biggest travesty in all of this, once again, This government has spent millions of American taxpayer dollars for this fake investigation. It was unnecessary. We should only be looking into actual law breaking. And the FBI, who have massive resources at their disposal, they go investigate stuff like this and get facts, evidence, you know, the truth, and then hold the people that are allegedly guilty in these acts, hold them accountable under the law. Cheney and her minions from the left, they all feel like they're endowed because they're members of the U.S. Congress. They can do whatever they want to do. They can make anybody comply with whatever they want and ask for and demand. And so forget about that rule of law thing. Forget about that three co-equal branches of government, the executive, the judiciary, and the legislative branches, and each one is supposed to do something specific, not to do other things. Forget about Cheney and Pelosi and Adam Schiff and all of those people who are involved in this January 6th committee, and they're doing things that they are not authorized under the Constitution to do, but yet they dig, they expose, they're trying to lie put something out there that can substantiate another go after Donald Trump. It's all about keeping Trump from running for office again in 2024. Weaponize everything. Go for it. You know, Trump's a perfect foil. And they use him for that purpose. They don't understand The American people lived through four years of this guy running the nation. Now we've lived through less than a year of this guy 
running the nation. How was your life? What was going on in your life in December a year ago? I promise you, pretty much everything based on economics was far better under Donald Trump than under Joe Biden. So Jim Jordan, overnight, he just went nuts about this January 6th committee and about what happened, what Liz Cheney did. Now, he's a fellow member of the House of Representatives with Liz Cheney. Listen to this fiery response. Uh, Thank you, Madam Speaker. Democrats prevent Republicans from serving on the select committee. Democrats kick Republicans off standing committees. Democrats try to make D.C. a state. Democrats try to end the filibuster. They try to pack the court. They do secret impeachment hearings in the bunker in the basement of the Capitol. And they just said a naval veteran is afraid of the truth. And now today, now today they are destroying executive privilege. United States Supreme Court held those who assist the president must be free to explore alternatives in the process of shaping policies and making decisions and to do so in a way that many would be unwilling to do except privately. The court further stated presidential administrations of both parties have asserted that president's close advisors are an extension of the president. Who are these close advisors? Who are these individuals who are an extension of the President of the United States? Well, there's actually a bunch. But certainly the three most important are the National Security Advisor, the White House Counsel, and the Chief of Staff to the President. And I would argue the Chief of Staff is the closest of the close. He's the one who spends more time with the Commander-in-Chief than anyone else. Now, why do we have this privilege? Why do we have it? Why is the decision-making process between the president and his close advisors a private matter? Why is that? Well, guess what? Supreme Court told us the answer to that one, too. Quote, executive privilege serves the necessity for protection of the public interest in candid, objective, and even harsh opinions in presidential decision-making. Let me just say that again. Executive privilege serves the public interest. It's for us. It's for we the people. It's not for President Trump. It's not for Mark Meadows. It's not for any president. It's not for any chief of staff. It's for the country. But the Democrats, they're not going to worry about that. They're going to forget about that because they think this is good politics. They think this is all about politics. They used to care. They used to care about executive privilege when Republicans wanted information. During the Fast and Furious scandal... President Obama asserted executive privilege for bureaucrats at ATF and DOJ. And think about it. A bureaucrat in a federal agency gets privilege, but not the chief of staff to the president because Mark Meadows worked for President Trump. And Democrats have been out to get President Trump before he ever took office when they first tried to spy on him, actually did spy on him in 2016. They're going to destroy this precedent even though even though this very question is in front of the courts as we speak. They're going to destroy this precedent that's been around since 1794 when our first president first asserted it. And for what? What did Mark Meadows do? He gave the committee thousands of emails. He gave the committee thousands of text messages. And he agreed to come in front of the committee and answer any question as long as it didn't violate executive privilege. 
The privilege that's not his to waive, it belongs to the president. The privilege that the court said is critical to executive decision making. The privilege that exists for the benefit of we, the people, and the privilege that's been around since George Washington asserted it. But Democrats says, nope, not good enough, Mr. Meadows. You've got to come in and answer any and every question we ask you, or we're going to try to put you in prison. It's disgusting. It is so disgusting. Think about it. We weren't allowed to know who the anonymous, so-called anonymous whistleblower was when they tried to impeach President Trump, did impeach President Trump, but Democrats can destroy executive privilege. We weren't allowed to, the country wasn't allowed to know what took place in that bunker in the basement of the Capitol during impeachment, but they get to know any and everything they want about conversations between the president and his top advisor. So what it is, is what's good for thee, not for me. And what's good for me is not for thee. In other words, Democrats don't put themselves in a position to be held responsible for any of this stuff. Any of it. Do you think, well, just imagine what you would think and how you would respond if the Republicans were doing this. They were just going after news media people and releasing their private correspondence. There's always, when you want to do something, there's always a way to find some type of justification for it. I mean, folks, all the bad choices we have made, those are choices. We make the decision to do them or not to do them. We're basing those choices, those decisions on something. What do you think Liz Cheney based her decision on releasing these publicly? What do you think it's based on? It's certainly not for the truth. It's certainly not for the facts. It's to purport and perpetuate a political narrative that Donald Trump is evil and that arbitrarily Democrats have determined we're the ones that decide that. When in fact, folks, if you believe the election results from November 3rd last year, if you believe that, the American people sent him packing. Not good enough for Democrats. They don't want him not only not running for office again, they want to find a way to put him in jail. Literally, folks, that's the end that these people are looking for. Why else did they initiate and perpetuate that 30 million dollar ridiculous collusion investigation? And folks, if Robert Mueller and his bevy of 20 hardcore left sycophant attorneys that went nuts for two and a half years digging through everything, every piece of information, document, the testimony of hundreds of people trying to nail Donald Trump, and they couldn't do it? Do you think Liz Cheney and Nancy Pelosi that you're going to be able to find something that's going to stick? I can tell you this, nothing will because nothing was done wrong, but that doesn't stop these people. They'll even manufacture things to try to brand people, to put them down forever in perpetuity. That's how ridiculous and power-hungry these people are in Washington, D.C. today. It's scary, but folks, we just got to face it. That's what we're dealing with. There's more crazy news from COVID-19 world. I know you probably think, oh, I thought we've heard it all. Folks, we're not going to hear it all. 
it'll be around for perpetuity as far as anybody is concerned in the, the healthcare business. But we've got some more news, some more facts, by the way, that uh, kind of go against the mainstream perspective on this new variant, Omicron. That's up next. I'm famous chef Tony Magoni, owner of Tony Magoni's Steakhouse. And when people ask me where I get my award-winning meat from, it's from one place, Meaty Bits. No matter what you need, be it a smoked pig, a goat by sunset, or a ten-foot alligator and a salty brine, mm-hmm, Meaty Bits will get it to you fast with a smile and completely without judgment. So, if it's good enough for Tony Magoni's Steakhouse, why not be good enough for Joe Public's home house? Mm, yeah. Get in touch with Meaty Bits and tell them Tony sent you. Meaty Bits, if it ever was alive, they can get it to you dead. Mm. What is Coca-Cola? Is it an excuse to get together? Since 1886, Coca-Cola has been passing on smiles from generation to generation. We've been giving kids scholarships like the early birds and the all-nighters. And you get to enjoy what matters most. Coca-Cola. Drink up. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie. Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on. I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Yeah! Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. When a governor can tell a president, no rally in my state, it's time for some definitive truth. Here with the goods, again, Dan Newman. As you can imagine, and everybody expected it, or maybe not everybody, but most Americans expected when we heard about a new variant, we knew it wouldn't be long before we would start hearing all kinds of stories. And they just immediately on the left, they just went to every egregious method that they've used in the last year and just doubled down on it about getting set for an Omicron pandemic. I'm serious, folks. And that happens in the middle of something that it popped up in my mind overnight. This question, what medicine has ever come before the FDA that they approved, even on an emergency use authorization basis, like the Pfizer and the BioTech and the Moderna and the J&J vaccines are? Emergency use authorization only. Well, Pfizer, theirs was approved. The FDA approved it. No, the BioNTech that is co-partnered with Pfizer for that vaccination has not been approved. Very quietly behind the scenes, Pfizer created another vaccine, Comartity. That's the one the FDA fully approved. Nobody told us when they said Pfizer's approved that it's not the BioNTech. In fact, in the same bulletin that the FDA put out about this, they encouraged everybody to continue with the BioNTech. Why did they say that? Read the fine print. Comartity, the vaccine they fully approved, they tell us, and Pfizer tells us, 
it's not available in the United States. So in the middle of all of that, folks, they weaponize everything, everything. And so we started here publishing every week the latest results from the VAERS report, the Vaccine Adverse Effects Report, that's published weekly on the CDC website. We started passing that information along. And so I'll just give you once more the latest numbers. Through December the 3rd, the latest report from the CDC, there have been reports of 946,461 adverse events that have happened immediately after a COVID-19 vaccination. We'll give you just the top brackets of breakdown of those reports. 19,886 deaths, 102,857 hospitalizations, 104,217 urgent care cases, 148,000 additional doctor office visits, 8,400 cases of anaphylaxis, almost 12,000 Bell's palsy cases. There are thousands of miscarriages, heart attacks, cases of myocarditis, pericarditis. 32,000 Americans are permanently disabled. 4,700 cases of thrombocytopenia, low platelet count. 22,000 life-threatening other adverse reactions. 35,000 severe allergic reactions, 11,000 cases of shingles. So just put that in the context of what it is. This is a report of the reactions, that the bad reactions that patients have had, but they're only the ones that the CDC knows about. The CDC themselves tell us the real numbers in these categories or certainly multiple times more than these numbers. So in context, 19,886 deaths, as we've told you here, we got from the CDC a complete year-by-year VAERS report for every year since the CDC started keeping this report, 1990. 1990 and not pulling out all of the different adverse events in these reports, just the death count, the sum total of all the people that have died from adverse reactions to all different vaccines that have been produced and circulated in the United States since 1990, the entire number up until January 1st of this year was a little over 1,900. From January 1st, Through December 3rd of this year alone, we've had 19,000. And we know, the CDC tells us, that's a low number. So the question I'm asking, I won't even ask that. I want to get you to one of what the experts are saying, explaining this. The American Council on Science and Health. This is how... They explained away the VAERS report. I'm going to read just the first portion of this report so you can get it in the context of what we're talking about. Quote, vaccine skeptics continue to insist that the COVID shots are dangerous. As always, their favorite sources are the Federal Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System 
and other similar passive surveillance databases. As cases of supposed vaccine injury are investigated, we come to the reassuring, though admittingly boring, conclusion that COVID-19 jabs pose a low risk to most people. COVID-19 vaxes have been linked to a collection of severe side effects, many cases of anaphylaxis, myocarditis, Guillain-Barre syndrome, blood clotting disorders, and even Bell's palsy have been reported to the federal VAERS report since the first shot was approved last December. Predictably, these self-reported incidents have provided ample fodder to activist groups and skeptics working to scare people away from effective and very safe immunizations for COVID-19. They're maintaining that anybody that takes the VAERS report numbers as actual is a skeptic, even though the numbers come from the federal government that this institution is telling us we've got to believe what they tell us. So this is where I wanted to go with this con- part of this conversation. Tell me one medicine, one, in your lifetime, that when you became old enough to follow and understand when new medicines come out to treat various things, all of those are forced to go through exhaustive clinical and human testing before the FDA will ever approve them. Even for emergency authorization use, in case just unless there's an emergency, and then they may do it just temporarily like they did with BioNTech, with Moderna, and with J&J's vaccination. But outside of even the virus medications that have come out, every other type of medicine, period, that have all gone through exhaustive clinical trials, bring all that trial data to the FDA and let the experts analyze it. They do that every time they approve a drug. And they approve them almost daily, folks. Give them full authorization. These three haven't been fully authorized. Although the perception has been painted that the Pfizer has been authorized. It has not. Not the BioNTech, the one they've been vaccinating Americans with since the very beginning. It's still in EUA, which means it can only be used under direct doctor care. Of those numbers in that VAERS report, let me go back to the VAERS report and get the details. Let me go back and get, uh, let's see. Well, I can't find the page right now. That's one, one thing about getting information from a government website. It takes forever to get to the bottom of it to actually get to the sections that you want to get to. Oh, my gosh. Here's the numbers broken down in those deaths numbers, the 18,896 deaths as a result of adverse reactions to the vaccines. Johnson & Johnson's, 1,651 reported dead. Moderna, 4,894. Pfizer, 13,268. So let's just talk about Pfizer. Let's just say Pfizer, which they've done. They've 
they've applied for the BioNTech vaccine to be fully authorized by the FDA. It has not yet been authorized. What other medication in your lifetime that's been approved by the FDA and goes into general use by the American people has killed 13,268 people just immediately following getting a shot with it? You can't think of one because the FDA wouldn't have approved it if the uh, clinical trial data that was brought to them for approval had been there to look at. In this case, there was none of this for the FDA. Still not. But I guarantee you one of the reasons the FDA has not fully approved the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is because of this very thing. It's killed at least 13,268 people. Just the vaccination. Not COVID. The vaccination. I've not heard anybody on the national level ask that question. Why would these not be blocked? Because they've killed, oh, it's just 18,000 people. That's a small price to pay for the good things these vaccines are doing. Folks, we find out every day the vaccines are not doing very well. In fact, every other day we get a report that says, They're doing more harm than they're doing good in some places. And now we have Omicron. And you saw and watched all of the uproar when it was first discovered in South Africa. Oh my gosh, we have another variant and this one could be the kill everybody variant. Folks, based on the data we've seen from around the world, here in the United States and even around the world, The Omicron variant appears to be all hype, not even a real threat. Primary symptoms. They last a couple of days. That's what we have been told from actual cases. What what happens? What are the, uh, the problems that come along with it? A couple of days of fatigue, headache, body ache, scratchy throat, intermittent cough. South Africa, where it supposedly originated, they report not one patient having required oxygen or even hospitalization for their symptoms. This is through yesterday. All have been very mild. And by the way, the first four cases confirmed of the Omicron variant in Botswana, all four of them were fully vaccinated against COVID-19. Africa's low vaccination rate, it's being blamed for the emergence of Omicron, even though the continents have extremely low levels of spread compared to our continent and also across Europe. A plane, commercial jet, was flying with 600 passengers. It was diverted for testing when the news about Omicron broke. They tested all the passengers. 10% of all of them were found to have covid 13 of the 61 positive passengers had Omicron. The rest had Delta or some previous strain. So clearly, the vaccine passports, this plane was coming out of South Africa. So what does all this mean? Vaccine passports don't prevent the spread of COVID-19. Fully vaccinated people are just as likely 
to carry and to transmit COVID-19 as the unvaxxed. Australia, which has been a test ground for how far and how ugly can a government be in a lockdown and takeover, they're trying to pass legislation to expand a digital identity system. None of it matters. It means absolutely nothing. The symptoms, according to the doctor that discovered her, Dr. Angelique Coetzee, chair of the South African Medical Association, she said the symptoms amount a little more than a couple of days of fatigue and malaise. No serious illness has thus far been reported anywhere in the world. No Omicron patient has thus required oxygen or even hospitalization. Omicron, according to her, seems to be nothing more than a hyped-up cold. All that being said, why would our FDA allow any medicine to be put in any American's body when at least 18,000 Americans have died in the direct wake of getting one of the three vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson. That makes absolutely no sense. In fact, it's wrong. It's dead wrong. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. We're outside Pilgrim Furniture and Mattress City where parents are disappearing. Excuse me, are your parents in there? Yeah. They can't decide if they should take no interest for 60 months with no money down or an extra $100 off every $9.99 they spend. It's a tough choice. But they've been in there for six hours. I want dinner. Parents, if you're a pilgrim, please make a decision. You're fighting back the tsunami of ignorance with Dan Newman, TNN. It just seems to me like this administration is weaponizing every tool they can pick up, whether it's real or not, to use against their political opponents. Not just their political foes, but anybody who dares to disagree with them, like Liz Cheney did. I mean, think about it. Mark Meadows, the chief of staff of the former president. Who else has any closer relationship or knows more about the executive operations, the confidential operations going on in the White House than the chief of staff. I mean, they're together at least, if not in person, by phone, 24-7. Mark Meadows is the guy. And why anybody 
in government, I don't care what your party affiliation is, would think it's okay to go after the private discussions that are made between a president and those in his close circle that he brought in to give him advice on all things being considered. You don't think, by the way, that Joe Biden came to the office of the presidency and every policy that he has instituted or tried to came right out of his own brain. (laughs) You and I both know that's an impossibility. It takes a group of people. Let me tell you something about management in a company. You find a company that's being successful. I'll find you a president or CEO in that company was a person that understood very early on he or she did not know everything that was going to happen and every decision that was going to have to be made in that company's history when they created it. So what a lot of people do is they just start a company and they think because they had the money to do it or they had the uh, the idea, the thought or idea to create a new company that they know everything. They've got all the resources necessary they're ever going to need. And then that company begins to a little bit at a time fail. A good manager understands very early on, I don't know everything. And then instead of just trying to bluff a way through it, they go find the people that whatever that CEO doesn't know personally Find the people that not only know it, but are the best people available that do know that and have a track record of being successful at operating with that and bring them into that company. And most people say, that would be crazy because the owner of the company would be sitting there and would be relying on people sitting around a conference table that know more than he does to make the decisions. No, 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 that's not the way it works. A president will throw out to his cabinet members, to people, his close confidants in his administration, ideas on everything. They'll have conversations. They'll bring in other people to get other resources with which to make good decisions. Joe Biden doesn't do that. Somebody tells him and gives him a speech and then points to the teleprompter and says, here's what you do. Donald Trump has done that his entire career. And folks, nobody can say we weren't very successful in our economy based upon decisions that were discussed by a bunch of people. But the final decision was made by this president If it was an executive action, he would then go ahead and issue it. If it was something that Congress had to do, then he would begin the conversations with the leadership in the House and the Senate to get them done. That's the way the political process is supposed to run in a free country that is of and by and for the people, which is what this country has been at least in its first 260 years. But this Democrat party and a handful of Republicans want to take it away, grab all the power, make all the decisions, and force everybody, regardless of the law, regardless of Supreme Court precedent, you got to tell us everything about anybody we want to know about. You can't hide anything. There's no such thing as confidentiality, confidentiality and the right to privacy anymore. We own it. That's the message Liz Cheney's sent. 
We recently saw that action play out in a similar way when Merrick Garland, the current attorney general, appeared at Congress on both sides of the uh, Capitol, at the House and at the Senate for committee hearings on what's going on with the Department of Justice. Some pretty nasty, ugly things were initiated by this attorney general that in many ways are unconstitutional themselves and violate a whole lot of norms that have been in place regarding interaction between the Department of Justice and the U.S. Congress. Our frequent contributor here, my friend, also my congressman, in another hearing, weighed in on Merrick Garland and his appearances before his committee, the House Judiciary Committee. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I am uh, just astounded. Strike the last word. I'm astounded by what we're hearing from the other side of the aisle. Why are the American people so concerned about this? Why is this such a crisis that we cannot let go? Because the Department of Justice, under the leadership of President Biden and Attorney General Merrick Garland, appears to be more motivated by politics than by pressing law enforcement needs. That is a fact that the American people can see with their own eyes, and it doesn't matter how much gloss you try to put on it, that's the issue that is before us. This is the House Judiciary Committee. This is our jurisdiction. We are supposed to be given oversight of this. Now, you just think of some of the actions that the Federal Department of Justice has done this year. They sued Texas for its pro-life law. They sued Georgia for its election integrity law. Oh, they sued Texas again, this time over the redistricting plan. They're aiming federal law enforcement power at parents protesting their local school boards. Yes, Virginia, that's happening. They're issuing a memorandum attempting to justify the administration's unconstitutional vaccine mandates. They're pushing to pay illegal immigrants for President Trump's decision to enforce our immigration laws. At this point, it's entirely fair to ask whether there's any state or local or, let's say, matter of personal conscience that the president and his cabinet won't insert themselves into. That's the problem, my friends. Of course, the backdrop to all this is there's so many crises that continue to go unaddressed. The crime is rising across the country. Turn on the news in the morning and watch it happen. Our southern border remains overwhelmed by illegal immigration. It is a crisis they won't even acknowledge, much less address. The federal and private property is being vandalized nightly. U.S. senators are being harassed in restrooms at their private homes. This thing is out of control. And millions of Americans are rightly concerned that instead of addressing all these pressing needs facing the country, this is the DOJ's job. What are they doing instead? Well, they're using the DOJ as a tool to advance far-left policies. They're attacking Republican-led actions, state actions. They're they're further eroding the free will of the American people. And this, this department's memo directing the FBI and the U.S. attorneys to intervene in school board disputes is such a glaring example of these abuses That is why we won't let it go. That's why we draw attention to it. We've heard it repeated over and over. The memo was issued just five days after the National School Board Association sent a letter to the White House referring to concerned parents as, quote, domestic terrorists and perpetrators of hate crimes. Guess what? The Attorney General said that was the basis for his memo. That was under oath, my friends. That was in the record of this hearing. Go pull the transcript if you've forgotten it. You treat American parents as domestic terrorists? That's outrageous, but it gets even worse. Now we've learned, yes, the FBI's counterterrorism division is using a threat tag to track and target parents who speak out against school policies. And what's Attorney General Garland doing? He testified the day after that directive was issued, right here before all of us, under oath. He said the Department of Justice isn't targeting parents. We've heard his quote so many times. Did he mislead us? Or did he actually not know what the two largest divisions of the Department of Justice are doing about one of the highest profile issues in America today? There's only two possibilities. 
He's either dishonest or he's incompetent. And either of those scenarios should alarm the American people. The Attorney General must go on record to clear this up, and, and we will not stop demanding that happens. The, the ranking member's resolution is entirely appropriate. We need to pass this resolution and issue those subpoenas so we get the Attorney General, yep. the highest law enforcement official in America, right in front of us again, to ask him these questions, pointed and directed, and he needs to give responses. He has to clear this up. And while he's at it, by the way, he needs to address the egregious abuse of power that he hasn't addressed yet. I asked him when he was here last time. He refused. He dodged the question a hundred times. His own family has mm -hmm. a direct financial interest in selling the curriculum materials, critical race theory and otherwise, that parents are going to their local school board meetings to protest. And these are the parents that he deployed the full weight of the Department of Justice against. I, I, I'm telling you, this, this is so outrageous. And, and, and the idea that he refuses to submit to a simple federal ethics inquiry about this is just beyond us. Look at this placard, 48 days, 48 days. No responses is required or requested by this chairman and the Democrat majority. It's outrageous. I yield to the ranking member. They're not going to hold each other accountable, leadership in the Democrat Party. They've proved that to us over again and again and again. The bad um, actions of their party members in Congress, they just blink at. There's no accountability there. And the only people that can hold them accountable then or others in Congress, if they have the power and the will to do that, or the voters, whenever it's time for those people to be reelected or run for new office, which is every two years, which is the next one, November of 2022. Congressman Johnson brought out many facts about the Department of Justice. Sadly, folks, even under the previous president, the attorney generals that he had in power, that he appointed after his first one, his buddy from Alabama, former senator that came in there and he couldn't get anything done because he wouldn't play the political games that had been in place. This Department of Justice and the previous one and the one before that are corrupt from top to bottom. And the American people apparently don't have any way to hold those people accountable. We don't elect them. They don't answer to us. The Department of Justice is a branch of the executive branch of the government, of the three major branches. And so they answer to whoever sits in the White House, period. So who does Merrick Garland answer to? Donald Trump? No. Joe Biden. Who does Joe Biden answer to? I don't know. I think I know, but it's just a think, and that would be either Barack Obama individually or a group of power brokers that are very closely related and around Barack Obama. Those are the sources of what we are seeing played out every day in this administration. It has to be that or something very similar, folks, because Joe Biden does not have the capacity, the knowledge, or the will to do and institute the things that he has done in less than one year, period. Prove me wrong, please. Give us some information that proves we're wrong. Now, let's lighten it up for just a moment. And I'm not, this next, next thing I'm going to tell you about, I'm not doing it to demean or diminish anybody. It's just in the big scheme of things. It's just ridiculous to me. 
the husband of U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. That in itself gives me a pause. Chastin Buttigieg appears a little bit less than enthusiastic about having to repay his student loans. Now, this is all pointed to President Biden. Chastin, who recently became a father to newborn twins with the transportation secretary, he put a screenshot on Instagram this last weekend of a notification that his student loan relief from the COVID-19 pandemic is going to expire the end of January. The note said, Chastin, your student loan payments restart after January 31st, 2022. You'll soon receive a bill from your student loan servicer. Chastin tweeted back, LL, LOL, no thank you, Merry Christmas, next. Chastin doesn't appear to be a fan of the Biden administration's plan to restart student loan payments. These are the guys who complained that they couldn't afford rent in D.C. on Pete's $220,000 salary and all the money they get from writing books. That's Republican strategist Matt Whitlock. A good reminder that the left's canceled student loan debt goal would overwhelmingly help financially comfortable people. Back in July, Chastin. And I still get caught up in, in, I want to be correct. I don't want to offend anybody, but it's hard for me to talk about a guy having a husband. Anyway, it is what it is. Back in July, he faced some ridicule after he griped about rent prices in D.C., claiming he and Pete couldn't afford anything bigger than a one-bedroom apartment. His salary, Pete Buttigieg's. $221,400. Chaston is a part-time drama school teacher. In addition to their D.C. apartment, they own a home on Lake Michigan in Traverse City, which they purchased this year after they sold their home in South Bend. Imagine being so far removed from the real world that you complain about $4,500 a month apartment not having a den. <laughs> That's what... Abigail Marone said, who's press secretary for Senator Josh Hawley, Americans are struggling to afford basic necessity thanks to Bidenflation. But poor Pete and Chaston don't get a dent in their high-end building. Boo, who, who. There's some humor there. You find it. It's a whole lot lighter than what we've been talking about so far today. And now let's go back over to the dark side our southern border. Do you know the mainstream media almost had to do it orchestrated? It couldn't just happen individually. The last 45 days, we've heard crickets about stuff at the southern border. Even Fox News doesn't spend much time on it. So automatically, most Americans think, hey, it's calmed down. Things are okay. Anything but that. El Paso sector agents over the weekend found more than 30 migrants in stash houses located in Socorro and Clint, Texas. Now this comes from the Border Patrol. The agents found migrants in overcrowded and inhumane conditions. 
They rescued some from the stash houses that included two unaccompanied alien kids. Due to the hard work and vigilance of the agents, 31 migrants were rescued from overcrowded and inhumane conditions. This is a written statement the Border Patrol officials put out. Among those encountered were citizens from Ecuador, El Salvador, and Mexico. Agents from the Wyslita Station Anti-Smuggling Unit teamed up with local cops to investigate the stash houses and rescue 24 more migrants. That investigation led to the discovery of the second house in Clint, Texas. There, they found seven additional migrants being warehoused in deplorable conditions. Folks, we get, we get these stories over and over and over and over again, and nothing's being done. I think this will probably go down in cahoots, in a bundle of the most horrible things that happen in a single presidential administration. I think COVID-19 and our southern border self-made travesty will go down as, if not the most egregious, in the top three or four. And this administration still does nothing, thumbing their nose at the rule of law. In fact, encouraging, they are suborning felony criminal acts by encouraging, actually encouraging by their actions. They're not getting up and waving everybody in. Don't get me wrong. When I say encouraging, you can encourage by what you do with your actions and not do. And that's exactly what this administration is doing. They are suborning illegal crossing in the hundreds of thousands by not holding those felons accountable for their actions. It's a green light to illegals all around the world. The United States is letting anybody in. Why don't we go? Boom, you're there. And maybe it's uh, it's just a, a process to think, but they literally have opened the door and said, y'all come on down, or in some cases, come on up. Well, I guess you heard Nancy It was apparent last week she was not, if she gets reelected next year, she was not planning on running back again to be Speaker House. In fact, back in 2018, if you remember, she would only lead her caucus, she said, for two more terms as she was elected after the party won the 2018 midterms. Well, it looks like she is reconsidering that promise. Under an agreement reached with seven Democrats who opposed her Speaker bid, Pelosi will back term limits for the top three Democratic leaders. Now think about that. Top three. Who would that be? Speaker of the House? Whoever is in the majority, the majority leader. And then also the whip. Term limits for just them. Why not term limits for everybody in the House? Oh, and term limits for everybody in the Senate. The limit she has agreed to will prevent her from serving as Speaker beyond another four years. That's interesting. This whole thing was developed by members who care about the institution of the House, and they say it would provide that members in senior leadership positions can serve three terms with an additional term with two-thirds support of the caucus. Now, this is Pelosi giving us this. It would include the two terms of the Democratic majority from 2007 to 2011. 
It's going to be brought before the Democrat caucus for a discussion and a vote by February 15th, Pelosi said. I'm comfortable with the proposal, and it is my intention to abide by it, whether it passes or not. You think we can survive without having Nancy Pelosi on the camera every day, going to the White House and getting beat up or beating up on whoever sits in the White House? Can you imagine what the conversations in the Oval Office are, what they look like with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden? And compare those to when Donald Trump was sitting behind the executive desk in the Oval Office and these same two, Schumer and Pelosi, came in there. It was a a fist fight, basically, every time they went in there. I'm sure there are hugging kisses and sipping, sippy cups, nothing very strategic being discussed. Maybe Chuck and Nancy are delivering to the president the next bevy of things that they want him to create policies and distribute as executive actions on his part. Something like that, I'm pretty sure, happens pretty regularly. There's no way that Biden could even make these bad decisions that are coming almost daily out of this administration. He doesn't have the cognitive ability to do that alone. So he's not. He's listening. Some other news out about Omicron. We are told now through testing that a lower level of antibodies against the Omicron virus variant is triggered by COVID vaccines. They use blood samples from people who got two doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is not used here in the U.S., or the Pfizer-BioNTech jab. And this came from the University of Oxford. They found a substantial fail in neutralizing antibodies with evidence of some people failing to have any at all. This is going to likely lead to increased breakthrough infections in previously infected or double vaccinated people, which could drive a further wave of infection. Early studies, including one from Pfizer and its partner, point to primary vax regimes having a dramatically lower effect in terms of stopping COVID infections. Here's a quote. Although different methodologies and types of selected sera have been used, these results consistently show a reduced neutralization capacity of sera, from, that's antibodies, from vaccine recipients in convalescent sera against the Omicron virus as compared to other SARS-CoV-2 variants. That's from the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control. Some think that a booster dose can restore some of the loss protection while others indicate natural immunity or the defense bestowed from recovery isn't as good against Omicron infection, though the drop in protection has not been as pronounced. Now think this through. What could this bevy of information, facts that I just gave you, so-called facts, what could be a potential end result hoped for? by coming out and reporting this. They just told us, well, the vaccines aren't really going to work against Omicron. And natural immunity is not going to work against Omicron. We haven't heard them say it yet, but the life and death phrase 
it's shortly going to be given to us. But guess what will come with it? More factually based information and news of here's what you need to do. You need to listen to us and quadruple mask and wear one mask on the back of your head and get three booster shots at one time. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be ridiculous. It's just another chapter of the book that is out there that was published by somebody I don't know who did. How to screw the American people into a dilemma and keep them in it for years using only lies. I don't know if that was ever written or published. Probably not, but I'm sure you understand and can relate to what I'm saying here. You can just look at every bad thing that happens and know for a fact the left is going to take it and weaponize it against conservative Americans, top to bottom. That's just the way they operate. And we shouldn't be shocked when it happens. Now, you watch this. You watch and see what the next step is in the vax world regarding attacking the Omicron variant. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in our state we have a uh, former brain surgeon as our governor. Uh, No, he never was a brain surgeon. John Bell Edwards. Guess what he told Americans he's going to do. He's going to move forward by adding COVID-19 vaccinations to the required list of school immunizations. And this came in in spite of the fact that the Louisiana House Health and Welfare Committee, they rejected the proposal at a hearing last week. In a letter to that committee and the chairman of that committee, Larry Bagley, The governor said yesterday he disapproved of the committee's rejection. He plans to allow the rule to go into effect because it will, the governor says, save lives and help the state emerge from the pandemic. So under this proposed amendment, COVID shots would be added to the list of required vaccinations for school entry. Vaccinations and all potential boosters would also be required for school attendance. That rule will go into effect beginning with the 2022-23 school year next fall. The requirements are only going to apply to age groups from whom the FDA has given full approval of the vaccine. And right now that's ages 16 and up, unless that's expanded. And mark this, it will be expanded. They're going to want to go after everybody regardless of age. Four-year-old kid, you got to get vaxxed. you got to get vaxxed. Parents will still be able to exempt their kids from getting vaccinated by claiming religious, medical, or philosophical reasons through a written dissent. Claims for exemptions due to medical reasons should be done through submission of a written statement from a doctor stating that vaccination is contraindicated for medical reasons. The governor said, I understand that any issue around COVID, especially those that involve our children, can be divisive. I ask that you and your colleagues work with me to get more people in Louisiana vaccinated. It's worth noting that while many of the diseases on the public health immunization schedule were once rampant and deadly, 
They are no longer serious risk for school-age kids in Louisiana. This is true because almost everybody was vaxxed against these diseases, many as a condition for attending elementary school. One can only imagine where we would be as a state if the same overheard rhetoric from last week's meeting was applied to polio or measles. The development of the COVID vaccines in time to help us put this pandemic behind us also requires us to do everything we can to add it to the list of diseases that no longer pose a serious threat. Novel idea, John Bell. Look at the constitution of all those vaccinations you just compared this one to. They're nothing the same. There's never been an mRNA vaccine ever before. mRNA means manipulated, manufactured RNA. And the guy who invented that process has come out and said point blank, don't get the vaccination. Don't let your kids get the vaccination. Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone. In fact, we're going to take a break. When we come back, why don't we do this? I'll grab a soundbite with the doctor himself speaking to us about the vaccine (laughs) that he created. Well, he didn't create the actual vaccine, but he created the mRNA process in which these vaccines are every one of them created. Dr. Malone, right after this. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chocolate. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200 mile per hour cordless leaf blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. What are you doing, Snuggle Snuggle. out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the... I, I smell, uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm. That does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, You mind if I have a bite? Sure. I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal. Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami, available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. That sounds kind of ominous, doesn't it? Remember that one? Papa was a Rolling Stone. A lot of songs like that came out in the 70s where we really heard great musicians show their stuff, besides just being vocalists. All that being said, we're back at Truth News Network's TNN Live. I want to thank you for joining us every day. 
forgot to say this anywhere in the show, but anytime you want to weigh in, ask a question, uh, make a statement, change the topic, ask us about anything else, or maybe move to a different subject, you have that right, want you to do it anytime, and we'll pay for your phone call toll-free, 1-866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. Dr. Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA process, which was used to create all of these, the Johnson & Johnson, the Moderna, and the Pfizer vaccines. He's come out dead set against it. I just let you listen to him. Now, this is not a real high-quality audio from the doctor. He's sitting at a desk in his office with a microphone just sitting on his desk. But listen closely to Dr. Robert Malone. My name is Robert Malone. I'm a physician and a scientist. But more importantly, I'm a father and a grandfather. I don't usually read from a prepared speech, but this is so important that I wanted to make sure that I got every single word and fact, scientific fact, correct. I stand by this statement with a career dedicated to vaccine research and development. I'm vaccinated for COVID and I'm generally pro-vaccination. I've devoted my entire career to developing safe and effective ways to prevent and treat infectious diseases. After this, I'll be posting the text of this statement so that you can share it with your friends and family. Here's the thing. Before you inject your child, a decision that is irreversible, I wanted to let you know the scientific facts about this genetic vaccine, which is based on the RNA vaccine technology I created. There are three main issues that parents need to understand before they take this irrevocable decision. The first is that a viral gene will be injected into your parents' cells. This gene forces your child's body to make toxic spike proteins. These proteins often cause permanent damage in children's critical organs. These organs include their brain and nervous system, their heart and blood vessels, including blood clots, their reproductive system, And most importantly, this vaccine can trigger fundamental changes to their immune system. The most alarming point about this is that once these damages have occurred, they are irreparable. They cannot be reversed. You can't fix the lesions within their brains. You cannot repair heart tissue scarring. You cannot repair a genetically reset immune system. And this vaccine can cause reproductive damage that could affect future generations of your family. The second thing you need to know is about the fact that this novel technology has not been adequately tested. We need at least five years of testing and research before we can really understand the risks associated with this new technology. The harms and risk from new medicines often become revealed many years later. 
I ask you to ask yourself as a fellow parent if you want your child to be part of the most radical experiment in human history. One final point. The reason they're giving you to vaccinate your child is a lie. Your children represent no danger to their parents or grandparents. It's actually the opposite. Their immunity after getting COVID is critical to save your family, if not the world, from this disease. Finally, in summary, there's no benefit for your children or your family to be vaccinating your children against the small risks of the virus, given the known health risks of the vaccine that as a parent, you and your children may have to live with for the rest of your lives. The risk benefit analysis is not even close with this vaccine for children. As a parent and grandparent, my strong recommendation to you is to resist and fight to protect your children. That was Dr. Robert Malone. Again, I apologize for the sound quality there. That was recorded at his desk in his home with an open microphone and a recorder laying there. But I wanted you to hear what the guy who invented the very process used that created all of these vaccinations. And he's telling us, don't do it as parents and grandparents. Don't do it. There are other things out there that are better. Now, he didn't go into what the other things were, but he was making clear the one thing that he had absolute, really good knowledge about. We understood the dangers of taking that step. Now, am I giving anybody advice? Vax or don't vax, that's not what we do here. Um, What we do is simply tell you what we unearth when we do investigations here. We give you the facts, and we trust you to be able to and to go ahead and make decisions based upon what you conclude for yourself and for others. Novel idea. Isn't that the way America's supposed to work anyway? I mean, based upon the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, we all have the right to make choices for ourselves, and our choices may be deadly. They may be wrong legally unless they impact others. We have that right as Americans to do it. So yes, every parent that has an underage child has the legal authority to vaccinate their kids, medicate or not to medicate as they see fit. But this administration... And the hardcore Democrats, the far left that are in government today, they want to do away with that right. We were told in the Declaration of Independence is inalienable, those rights. And they don't come from the government. They come from our creator. That was part of the foundation of this country. Yet these hardcore leftists, they're demanding that we just give them control of every decision, including the healthcare decisions we make for ourselves and for our kids. And they're just getting nasty about it. More mandates, more lockdowns, more vaccination requirements. Folks, we're not far away from having at every border of every state in the United States federal 
places. Uh, you have to stop when you go from state to state and show that you're vaccinated for COVID-19. Or you can't go from state to state. We're close to getting to that. They're going to do it first probably on mass transportation. That would be airlines, buses, and trains. Where to get on them to travel before you can even get on one of those. A plane, a bus, or a, a train, you have to prove that you're vaccinated. And they're trying to make it with no exception. That is where we're headed And that, folks, is what happened in real totalitarian countries in world history, like Russia that turned into the Soviet Union, like Germany, Nazi Germany, like Italy under Mussolini, China, the old China and even the new China. The government controls everything that everybody does, everything. No individuality, no ability to make private choices and decisions. And this administration was elected (laughs) and they took that as a mandate. Not that the American people gave Joe Biden a mandate, just the fact that he was elected. Oh, that means we get to do everything. The American people want us to do everything that we want to do. We didn't campaign on it. Joe Biden, I'm going to kick COVID. I'm going to kill COVID-19. I don't have any authority, he said during his campaign. No president does to require a vaccine for anybody, yet he puts out a vaccine mandate. He's gutless. He won't do it from the president's desk. He pushes it downstream to OSHA and has OSHA push it out. Of course, it's been popped at every level in the federal courts, and all of that is being considered at this moment. But even if it never stands, even if the Supreme Court slaps it down, all of the the vax mandates, slaps them down, and reconfirms what our forefathers put in the uh, the Declaration of Independence and then the details corresponding in the U.S. Constitution. Regardless of all that, if that happens, and it won't happen probably if it even does happen, It won't happen until next year sometime. How many Americans, based upon the threat of forced vaccinations to even live and move around, how many people went ahead and got vaccinated? Which is exactly what this is all about. For some reason or reasons, and folks, those reasons no longer can even remotely be claimed to be to protect people from COVID-19 because these vaccines don't. And all the drivel that you hear from mainstream media, I even hear it from some Fox News anchors and guest reporters that come on their shows. Oh, the best thing you can do is get vaccinated. Why have 20,000 people died? Why is it okay that 20,000 people have died. Why is it okay that there have been just reported to the CDC so far 947,000 adverse reactions to these three vaccines, of which about 20,000 were people that died? That's okay. Oh, you know, that's a sacrifice. Everybody should be willing to lay down their lives so that their fellow Americans can live on. 
Well, guess what? That's a choice, I guess, that we make. But now they don't want that to be our choice. Novel idea. Government of, by and for the people. Not government by government. And by and for the government. That's not how it reads. We're watching the wholesale slide into totalitarianism happen before our very eyes. And remember this CDC director, the new one, Dr. Walensky, she plainly from the very beginning has told us the pandemic that we're living in, if you can even call it a pandemic, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. She said that on the day, the very day that we released a report here that came out of Israel, which at that time was the most percentage-wise vaccinated country on the planet. Double vaxxed, fully vaxxed, the Israelis. Hospitals across the nation of Israel were full of serious COVID-19 cases. Their intensive care units were full, and the huge majority of those that were in those hospitals were vaccinated Israeli people, fully vaxxed, that got really bad cases of COVID-19. And yet the CDC director warns, we're about to enter a pandemic of the unvaccinated. I can't imagine, I can't imagine what this is all about. Meanwhile, in Congress, Congress goes on and on and on talking about legislation, what we must do, what's right, what's wrong. You can't say that. It's not true. We're the arbiters of the truth on our side of the aisle. Somebody I really like in Congress, Burgess Owens, was a great NFL football player. And in the hearing, he kind of went nose to nose with some fellow members of the House of Representatives regarding a lynching law that is being considered by this Congress. Words of wisdom from Burgess Owens. Listen closely. This is significant. Let me start off by something I think we all know is obvious. Lynching is evil. What happened throughout the 1900s were evil. Um, this legislation, when it passed in the first, last Congress, had bipartisan support. The concerns we had as a party is it was not strong enough. It was instead of 10-year minimum, we wanted life for people who did this kind of stuff. Well, my concern is this. We have something with a, with a great name, a great mission, and a Democratic, my Democratic friends use it to brand America as racist versus what the Democratic Party has done. So let me give you a little history because you're right. Anti-lynching bills have been placed for a long time stopped every single time by the Democratic Party. It was a Democratic Party that fought for slavery. It was a Democratic Party that fought against the anti-lynching bill in 1918, put together by a Missouri Republican. It was a Democratic Party that put, put together Jim Crow laws. KKK was Jim Crow. By the way, Wall Street, Black Wall Street, destroyed by Democrats. The filibuster, you're right, it's been used to stop civil rights. Democrats have used it to do that. We have something that should be bipartisan right now, a bill that makes sense against anti-lynching. My concern is this, 
We have a lot of young black boys today that are lost. That have been raised in families that are dysfunctional, a lot because of democratic policies. And they can put, they decide to make a mistake, beat somebody up because they hate white people, which they're being taught to do. They can come under this, this, this lynching. They have not killed anybody, but they conspire, conspire and they've hurt them. They could be put away for life. Why are we changing the definition of lynching when it's so obvious what it is? Is it because we're not getting enough across our country to bring attention to the divisiveness that we're trying to get from the, uh, my, my friends across the aisle? We've been fighting against this evil for a long time, and we've come a long, long way, my friends. All we have to do is look around this room. We see how far we've come. So let's go ahead and deal with the Emmett Till bill, the way it was designed, that everybody bipartisan, in a bipartisan way agreed to, and let's stop tr trying to change the language of lynching so it fits any narrative anybody wants to, to put out there, and all of a sudden we're dividing off people even more and more uh, in more ways. What the congressman is referencing is a hunger on the part of those on the left to take a basic bill that just makes lynching. Everybody knows what lynching is. Make it illegal. And he's having to struggle because what's happening? Legislation like we've watched it happen for the last decades. A bill comes to the floor of the House or the Senate to be considered. It starts off as being a bill to do or to stop specific things. But they don't want to vote it up or down based on that. They want to add stuff to it. Fill it full of stuff that has nothing to do with the message in the, the legislation. Thankfully, Burgess Owens stepped up. Folks, that's a wrap for today. Look, this is a tough time of year. It's tough enough because at Christmas time, we're remembering a lot of bad stuff. But stop. Choose to stop concentrating on that. Concentrate on the good things. Concentrate upon what Christmas in the season is all about. It's pointing back to that time in the Middle East where the Savior of all mankind first showed up. We'll see you tomorrow at TNN Live. My name is Robert Malone. I'm a physician and a scientist.